2018. As we say, hard to believe that another year has passed. And, and you know, anytime we walk into a new year, it's very common to reflect upon the past year that we just went through. I'm sure some of you have done that. Well, here's a question I would pose to you. Did things happen this past year that you did not anticipate happening? But they did. Likewise, likewise, were there things that you were, you know, that you were confident that were going to happen, but they didn't happen at all? If you're like me, you probably would say, and if you're honest, yes to both questions, right? Life is full of uncertainties, and we live accordingly, don't we, with those uncertainties? If you bought a new car, let me ask you, would you say to the dealer, don't worry about the warranty? Don't worry about it. That's a great car. No, 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 have five-year warranty. No, I know this car is going to run for the next five years. Would you say that? Not if you're very smart, right? I mean... The best of cars are going to break down. There's no guarantee. So we would like some kind of certainty about that, right? So we have a warranty. And then once we jump into that car, we don't know about the safety that's going to take place once we start driving that car around. So what do we make sure that we have? Insurance, right? We're willing to pay thousands of dollars for something that may never happen, right? may never happen, but we want to have that kind of assurance, don't we? doesn't stop there. Same thing holds for medical insurance, and we all know how expensive that is to have, right? Then we own a house. We're fine, right? No. We buy homeowner's insurance, don't we? And different types of insurances to protect us from a fire, from theft, or these natural disasters. There are many uncertainties, and so we spend a lot of time, don't we, and a lot of money to cover these contingencies. Life is full of uncertainty, and it's unsettling for us. And so it would be nice, wouldn't it, to have some things of which we are certain. Would you say amen to that? Thankfully, God has given many promises of which we may be certain. And I think there's no greater promise than the assurance of our salvation. The assurance of our salvation. By salvation, I mean the knowledge that God has forgiven your sins because of your belief in Jesus Christ, and you will spend the rest of eternity with God. Salvation is the greatest reality, and God wants you to know that you can have an assurance of eternal life. But yet many do not. For people who have never placed their faith in Jesus, this would be expected. I read this past week about a conversation between John MacArthur, who's a well-known pastor in California, and one time he had a conversation with Larry King off the air, the well-known uh, TV host there. King asked him, do you, ha- do you have any fear of death? And MacArthur said, I have no fear of death. And King said, you don't have any fear of death? 
And MacArthur said, well, you know, I have a normal antipathy toward pain, and I would like to minimize my pain in dying. That's just kind of a normal thing. But death itself, no, I don't have any fear of death. And he said, well, how is it that you have no fear of death? I said, because I know exactly where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. And King said, and you're sure you're going to go to heaven? Absolutely sure. King said, I wish I had that faith. But it's not just non-Christians. Sadly, even Christians can lack an assurance of faith. I think sometimes it's because that's what they think the Bible teaches, that it doesn't teach this. And in other cases, it's because they've not taken the time to actually study and to read the Bible and to see very clearly what it does teach. And the result can be a crippling dread over the prospect of losing your salvation. I remember as a new Christian going through a phase of just this dread that I had lost my salvation. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. It was a crippling spiritual paralysis. Or the result can also be that maybe you just have no idea what the Bible says and you lose confidence in the Word of God. You lose confidence in your trust in God. And so you look at the future as just this sort of hazy future rather than a steadfast confidence in God. A lack of assurance can have a huge, can be a huge impediment to your spiritual life. So friends, God wants you to have an assurance of eternal life. Scripture is quite clear about this subject. God's desire is that you know you have eternal life that you already possess it and that you cannot lose it, that we wouldn't sit around and wonder if God accepts us. Not that you never have a, a, a doubt that goes through your mind, but overall that God wants you to have a rock-solid assurance. Friends, we have the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life, and we have been given that gift by the one person who will never take back His Word. Amen? And so my prayer is that assurance would flood your heart here this morning. So please, I'm going to invite you to turn to really the classic text about the assurance of eternal life, and that is found in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, page 1023, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you there, every Christian should know 1 John 5.13. And we're going to start by reading verses 9 and, and move into verse 13. So as you're turning there, let me just give a, a quick little bit of background about this passage. Now, this is the epistle of John. It's a letter he wrote to a group of churches. Just to back up for a second, he, we, as we know, he wrote a gospel, right? The gospel of John. And in the gospel of John... He wrote that book, as he says at the very end, kind of a summary statement. The reason he wrote the gospel was this. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote his gospel for evangelistic reasons. He wanted his readers to believe that Jesus was the Christ and to receive eternal life. Now by eternal life, what I mean by that is not just that you live in the afterlife forever with God, but eternal life 
also means that you know God now. It's a now and it's also a not yet. It's a quantity of life and it's a quality of life. John 17, 3, Jesus prayed to the Father, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So John wrote this gospel so that his readers would have eternal life. And so I'm going to use eternal life and salvation synonymously here in this message. And the eternal life is received by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everybody following so far? So unlike his gospel, the epistle of John, 1 John, it was not written for evangelistic reasons, okay? John was already writing, John was writing to people who already had placed their faith in Christ. This was written for for people to have an assurance about their eternal life. For some reason, they were struggling with a lack of assurance. So the gospel of John is a message of salvation. The epistle of John is a message of assurance. One commentator sums up the differences nicely. He says, John was therefore writing not to persuade unbelievers of the truth of the Christian faith, but rather to strengthen Christian believers who might be tempted to doubt the reality of their Christian experience and to give up their faith in Christ. Those who believe in the name of Jesus can be sure of their possession of eternal life. And really, that's the whole purpose of the book of John, was to instill this confidence in the readers that they have believed in Jesus, they can have an assurance of eternal life. So let's pick up in verse 9, chapter 5, of first John. So he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So everybody understands so far. We receive the testimony of human beings, right? It's amazing how much that what we believe is based on what other people say, right? We naturally just believe what humans tell us. So how much more should we receive the testimony of God who is greater and He has borne witness about His Son, Jesus Christ? And whoever possesses this testimony, who believes it, they have eternal life. Whoever does not believe it does not possess eternal life. So now we come to the classic text, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Can I read that one more time so everybody hears it? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John emphatically emphasizes that we can and should have an assurance of eternal life. And John isn't alone. The rest of Scripture emphasizes this same reality that God wants us to possess this assurance of eternal life. Let me just mention three examples real quickly. Jesus affirms the assurance of eternal life. John 10, 28 to 29, Jesus says these words, I give them eternal life, eternal life and they will never perish. 
and, the, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. What Jesus is saying is that once you have believed in him, you are in his hand, so to speak, and you cannot be snatched away. It's interesting in the original Greek there. Well, in English, we don't use double negatives, right? If you use double negatives, people are going to look at you a little funny. What I mean by that is if you say Bob is not not tired, you basically just canceled out what you were saying, right? You're saying Bob is tired, so why say not, not, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But in Greek, they could put two double negatives together, and it would actually strengthen their point. And the way Jesus says this in the original language, is strong possible cannot lose your salvation once you have placed your your faith in Christ. It is not even a possibility. Peter comes along and he agrees about the assurance of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you catch all that? Our salvation is imperishable and it is kept in heaven for us. Did you notice how it says that we are being guarded? By what? By God's power. We are being guarded by Almighty God. I think that means that we are pretty secure, don't you? Likewise, Paul agrees about the assurance of eternal life. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's the good work? The good work is salvation, right? He has started that in you, and He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, which is referring to His second coming and judgment day. You will be kept all the way to the end. One more, Romans 8, 39, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Death cannot separate you. Demons cannot separate you. Nothing. I mean, if that won't get a woohoo, what will? There should be a hundred woohoos. <laughs> Definitely worth woohooing. And there are many other texts. This isn't just three texts, four texts. There are many other texts, and they all emphasize a consistent message that we can have the assurance of eternal life. Now, you would think that knowing these passages and knowing God's almighty, faithful character, we would resolutely believe these promises and never have any doubts. 
But we know that's not the case, right? We all struggle at times. And this, as I said earlier, can hinder our relationship with God, our motivation to want to serve Him, and be devoted to His kingdom work. But here, friends, is where the goodness of God shines even brighter. Let me explain. Because God is good, He wants you to overcome those doubts. He knows that you will have those doubts, and He wants you to overcome them. And so when you look in the, in the letter of 1 John, what He does is that He repeatedly mentions three different tests for the readers so that they would hear these tests, see that they pass the test, and have even greater confidence. As I thought about it, it would be like a person who is in good health going to visit their doctor for a regular checkup, right? I know some of you probably haven't been in 10 or 15 years. Probably go for a regular checkup. And when you do go to these regular checkups, the doctor is going to do various, basically, tests on you, right? They're going to check your height and your eyes, your ears. Uh, they're going to get a blood sample from you. You take those tests, and if you're in good health, those tests don't make you have good health, do they? What they do establish is that you leave the doctor's office with a greater confidence that you have good health, right? The doctor puts a stamp and a seal and approval on your health. So likewise, again going back to 1 John here, the goal of these tests is to bring assurance of salvation. That you hear of these tests and it reminds you that yes, I might be struggling with this, this doubt right now, but these things are given by God to give me, give me greater assurance of my eternal life. So what are the three tests? Well, the first is the belief test. The belief test. If you have eternal life, you will believe the essential claims about Jesus. He says in John 6.47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So if you believe in Jesus, you possess eternal life now and forever. Belief in Jesus is essential. And John, 1 John emphasizes this as well. 1 John 3.22 says, this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Did you notice that He says there, believe in the name of Jesus Christ? The reason He says that is because in biblical times and in their understanding, a person's name encapsulated everything about them, right? It wasn't just a way to identify somebody. And so when we say that we believe in the name of Jesus, we're believing the essential things about who Jesus is. You believe that Jesus is fully God and that He became a man and was born into this world as we just celebrated at Christmas, right? And when Jesus began His ministry as the Messiah, as the Christ, He went around and He performed unprecedented miracles. And then He lived a sinless life. And then He died on the cross for sin. And then He rose from the grave that Sunday morning, to vindicate his claims about himself. 
His resurrection, as we sang in that song, Our Living Hope, bolsters our confidence about eternal life because of what Jesus has already proven. We also believe that Jesus ascended to heaven and one day He's going to return as the judge of all mankind and will establish His eternal kingdom. Friends, that is the biblical portrait of Jesus. So if you believe that in the name of Jesus that He is the Christ, the Son of God, be encouraged that you should have greater assurance that you now possess eternal life. The second test is the obedience test. If you have eternal life, you will want to obey the commands of Scripture. Now, Scripture never says that you have to obey them perfectly in order to have eternal life. It says, no, that you will have a desire to want to obey them. We will want to obey. When we fall short, we confess those things to God, and then we keep pressing on. But our lives should be marked by obedience. Let me read a passage too from 1 John a little bit earlier. He says in 2, 3 to 6, Whoever says, I know him, speaking of Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. Listen to this. By this we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Did you hear that? This is how we know we are in Him. If we seek to honor His Word. Those things don't make us a Christian, but it's a reflection of someone who has now a desire to obey Christ. I became a Christian when I was 21. I didn't grow up going to church, so this was like a whole new world for me. And I remember after I had become a Christian, someone handed me a little book and it was basically about how to live your life as a new Christian. And I remember opening up and reading through this book and at times literally laughing to myself thinking, really? I'm actually supposed to do this? It, it, it just seemed so foreign to me that I was supposed to keep these commands. If you haven't grown up in church, you'll understand. I mean, you're just like, what? There's no way. But here's the thing, is that I had been changed. And so my initial reservation and even laughing was overcome by a greater desire to want to keep his commands. And so therefore, I just started down that path. And by the way, by the way, after I started obeying, I started realizing that God's ways are the best ways. His ways aren't stifling. They're actually... So if you see obedience in your life, rejoice because it should give you greater assurance of eternal life. Third is the love test. If you have eternal life, you will have a newfound love for others. Again, you're not going to be perfect, right? But you will love others because you have been loved by God. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life, speaking of eternal life, because we love the brothers. Did you see that again? He's saying, we know that we have eternal life because we love others. 
1 John 4, 7 to 8 echoes that. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not lo- love does not know God because God is love. And here's a very important truth in Scripture. Love, friends, isn't just feelings in our hearts. It should be that. We should have a new disposition toward people. But it goes beyond feelings, doesn't it? It includes our actions. Love is a verb, as they say. So we should demonstrate our love in tangible and sacrificial ways. For example, we should be willing to give our time and money to help others. 1 John 3, 16-18 says, By this we know love, that He, Jesus, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So if you see love in your life, be encouraged and have greater assurance that you possess eternal life. Now, these tests, as I said, are meant to give us greater assurance, greater confidence that you possess eternal life. But this needs to be said. These tests can also reveal that you do not possess eternal life. That you are not a genuine follower of Christ. And I know that can be maybe surprising or maybe humbling. But listen to me, that can actually be a very good thing. Because it is much better to realize that now while there is time before we all face judgment day one day. There is still opportunity to respond to what Jesus has said. Right? This makes sense. Going back to our doctor's visit, don't we want to know now if something is wrong with our health? while there's an opportunity to respond, to do something about it, rather than hearing, oh, it's too late. We want to know there's an opportunity to respond. And so this morning is an opportunity. And let me go back and just probe real briefly with these three tests so that we're all making sure we're understanding what what the Apostle John was saying. With the belief test, that means that we regard Jesus as more than just a great teacher or a prophet. Most everybody would say that about Jesus. But we're saying here what he said, what the apostles said, what the church has said through the ages, is that he's fully God and that he's fully man and he died for your sins and that he wants to become your Savior. Not necessarily someone else's Savior. Who needs, whose life is a disaster. And you think, oh boy, Jesus would be great for them. Jesus would be great for you and for me. You need to call out to him, as Mark said in his baptism. God is calling out. Will you call out to him? With the obedience test, we need to ask ourselves whether God is in control of our lives so that we're we're doing what Scripture actually tells us to do. Yes, we fall short. We all know that. But that's different than having like 
little to no interest, isn't there, in, in doing what God's Word tells us to do. Or if maybe there is a flicker of interest, we always have a greater excuse that squashes that, right? I'm too busy to pray. I, I, can't, I don't have any time. The Bible is so hard, I can't understand it. I can't forgive that person. And on and on it might go. That's not passing the obedience test. Do you see? And with the love test, to make sure that our hearts have changed toward people, we should really love every person because they're made in the image of God. And not just love people because they love us back, right? Jesus says to even love your enemies and be willing to serve them and bless them. So if these tests have made you perhaps a little worried that maybe you are not a genuine follower of Christ, this is also an opportunity for good news because Jesus gives you good news. And He would want you to respond to what He said going back to John 6.47. I tr truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He doesn't say, get your life totally together and then come to me. No, he says, come to me and believe, and then he'll start cleaning up your life. We need to believe in Jesus and all that Scripture says about him, to believe that he is fully God and fully man, believe in his miracles and his sinless life, believe in his death on the cross for our sin, and to believe that, yes, friend, he rose from the dead. And that his death secures our confidence and to believe that one day he will return again. And that if you have placed your faith in him, you will receive a resurrected body for the rest of eternity. So believe in Jesus and you will receive eternal life. There are no hoops. There, are, there is no fine print. Trust, simply trust in his promises and he will be faithful to receive. Let us pray. Lord, for someone here today who's never believed in Jesus, in this moment, Lord, now, I pray that they would do so. That they would recognize, confess in their hearts, they have sinned and fall short of your glory. And they believe Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, even now in this moment, we pause just for someone to echo that prayer, to say that prayer in their hearts to you now. Lord, what a great passage about the assurance of eternal life. We thank you for this passage and for so many others that this scripture teaches a consistent word of promise. And I pray for every Christian here today that if they are lacking assurance, Lord, that you would just put that to rest and give that cemented rest in their hearts. That they possess eternal life. And they don't have to keep uprooting the foundation and seeing if it's really there, but the foundation has been planted and now they can build the structure accordingly. Give peace based on your word, Lord, as we believe it and receive it in faith. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.